Everybody, I'm Peter, and I sleep perfectly well at night knowing that I play by the rules. He's getting oil bath whether he likes it or not. It's Mike. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode-by-episode deep dive into the Star Wars animated series, Rebels. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited about this one. Friend of the pod, it's been a while, but we've been trying... It's been a while! (laughs) But we've been trying to get him back on. He's the host of Talking Bay 94. A really fun Star Wars show featuring fantastic interviews. It's Brandon Wainerdy. Hey guys, how's it going? Good to be Welcome. back. Yeah, we yeah. were. We have uh, you know not a ton of episodes in season four, so we had to be real selective with who we brought back. And so then everyone said no, and then you had to get me. I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the listeners, I mean, it's a shorter season, so we decided. You know, we're we're only really going to invite. We might have one or two new guests, just people we've been talking about and couldn't couldn't schedule them before. But for the most part, we're just going to have back our favorite people, you know, all the nice people we've talked to that we just love talk, talking Star Wars with. It's our last run, so let's do it. That's a great season. This is what we live for. This is why we're here, right? <laughs> yep. This is basically all been so we could talk about season four. But I am excited to get into this one, so... Brandon, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I have a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. Oh, yes. Nice. Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Pew! So let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in episode two, one and two, I suppose, of season four in the name of the rebellion. So Ezra, Kane, and Sabine arrive on Yavin 4 to join the Alliance and Hera, whose squadron has returned from an Imperial ambush as a result of bad intel. Soon after, a droid projects a hologram of Saul Greer, who mocks Mon Mothma for her unwillingness to go to any lengths to defeat the Empire. Say Mox Mon Mothma ten times fast. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And Mothma, oh no, it's happening, angrily responds, (laughs) refusing to stoop to the violence and extremism committed by Guerrero's rebel cells. She sends the ghost crew on a mission to intercept the relay's transmissions. Sabine inadvertently connects them to the main channel on an approaching light cruiser, forcing Ezra to impersonate an Imperial officer. Unfortunately, it is the very officer who is commanding the cruiser, Brom Titus. Seems convenient. Sabine <laughs> calls for Hera to pick them up, and as they have, as they right as they have been seen, but before they can be picked up, a U-wing piloted by Guerrero arrives, picks them up, and then bombs the relay dish, destroying it and the cruiser. Hera demands Greer transfer Ezra and Sabine, but they jump into hyperspace. That's the end of season, I mean, of episode one. Then we jump to episode two. I'm flying here. Guerrera <laughs> convinces Ezra and Sabine to aid him in discovering the secret weapon he is convinced the Empire is working on. They board an Imperial cargo ship, disguised as a regular civilian spacecraft, and discover a group of prisoner engineers from the planet Coruscant, who are being shipped to Jeddah for an apparent project. 
Guerrero insists that there's more evidence to the secret weapon. They also find a giant, giant kyber crystal, which they plan to haul out of there with the prisoners. But Chopper attempts to get the prisoners out of harm's way. It doesn't work. They go back to the cell. They're stopped by the Empire. When the plan for, to get the crystal off the ship fails, Guerrero blasts it to hell. <laughs> he calls two tubes to pick him up. So we're going to refer to him as. And Ezra and Sabine are rescued by the ghost crew after destroying a massive Star Destroyer. Again, the engineers decide they want to join the rebel cause, and they all head back to Yavin 4. <sighs> so that's what happens, just in case you haven't seen it in a while. Really quickly, I'm going to lay out a theme in about two sentences. For what I think the theme for this epi- these episodes are, we can unpack it, we can move on, we can just jump in after the theme for these two episodes is a little on the nose, how we fight. So it's a very on the nose theme, but I think it is so much of what's going on in these two episodes is the theme of how we fight. It's a total callback to iron squadron and previous themes we've outlined of why we fight. This one's very specifically how we fight and the importance of that. All right, guys. Yeah. Just jump in. Absolutely. And the other thing that's interesting to this, to the theme for me is, it's a lesson that was given to Ezra by Yoda um, earlier in season one. They talk about that specifically before he goes to Malachor. Um, and so it's interesting to see Ezra kind of going back and forth. And at one point he even says, you know, yeah, I know it's how we fight, but maybe we're fighting the wrong way. Um, so he's questioning again between two viewpoints, which I see it happens a lot with Ezra. He's kind of the avatar for the show. There's always two people kind of fighting for Ezra's, yeah, I don't know, heart yeah. and soul. Yeah. <laughs> now it's between Saw and Mon Mothma instead of Maul and Kanan, yeah, or the Light and the Dark, et cetera, et cetera. That's interesting. I, I kind of want to. I'm not going to, but I would love <laughs> to rewatch it with a perspective of who are all the people vying for, you know, this stand-in Jedi. Because the Jedi, in a way, are supposed to be this neutral force, this peacekeeping force. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have, if he's the stand-in for that, you have people always vying to get his, uh, I don't know, yeah. to win him over. I think that's really interesting, if only because I mean, he doesn't really have Jedi training like Anakin, for instance, did. Yeah, right? Like, he doesn't, totally. he doesn't get to go to all the classes. He doesn't get all the different types of teachers that there might be. And so really he does have to just rely on the people around him and they really do define like who he ends up being, right? Like the decisions yeah. he makes throughout mm-hmm. season four. So I really like that a lot. Actually. Absolutely. And it, you know, being an orphan, he does, he's never really had these <laughs> well, leaders. Sorry, talking about you. <laughs> yeah. You know, being an orphan, which, it's been really hard for me on the streets, which by the way is messed up that I even decided to laugh at that. But yeah. continue. Um, you, but Ezra, never had the parental figures to kind of guide him. And so this whole series, it's like parents fighting for Ezra always over and over and over and over. And that's why it largely feels gross to me. Anytime people are fighting over Ezra or trying to kind of win his insight or like favors, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, he's so, he's such a young mind. (laughs) It's just like so (laughs) disturbing that. So many people are trying to like sway him, and I'm just mm-hmm. like totally. Um, and then speaking about this theme too, especially in light of the Jedi Sith thing we were just discussing, 
Dave Filoni talked about how it was important to him and George Lucas both to show that the light side and the dark side weren't just a struggle between the Jedi and the Sith, but everyone in the universe needs to decide what they're going to contribute and bring to the universe. Mm. And so this is, that's kind of the struggle of this episode with Saw versus Mon Mothma. And Dave Filoni talks specifically about Saw that he never got over the trauma of losing his sister in the Clone Wars. Mm. And so if he could deal with his pain and his anger around those feelings, he would have grown into a much different person. And so I think it's interesting to see the analog between him and someone like Vader that, you know, he's not a Sith. He's not on the dark side, but he's still dealing with the same struggles and pain of loss. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the character of Son, I'm sure you all have talked about it before, but it's just so interesting to me, if only because of that George Lucas connection, right? Like mm-hmm. he is, he is one of the only characters that's kind of made it all the way through all these Disney iterations Mm. of star wars that george like had at Mm. least direct knowledge about so um Mm -hmm. anything that he does especially like i think this episode is so indicative of that right of of how he approaches things and even interacting with characters like mon mothma in a very direct way it's kind of like it makes me just constantly think of like george and dave really and like what that whole relationship must be like absolutely and a little uh fun tidbit um, there's this book that I've talked about called The Rebel Files that I kind of like. It's pretty fun. It's a little young adulty, but basically the premise is that all of the leaders post-rebellion, like Leia and Poe and Holdo, are going through old files, secret mm-hmm. files of the rebellion. And so you just like get like these notices about big things that happen in the universe. And one of the things I found was that it contains an official censure from Mon Mothma to Saw and the Partisans basically kicking them out of the rebellion because they were part of the rebellion. Um, and she said in this note that they are doing more harm than good systems that would be sympathetic to the rebellion now refuse to meet with the Alliance because they think Mon Mothma condoned Saw's actions. Mm. So she thought without an official condemnation of him, they wouldn't be able to win the hearts and minds of the galaxy. So she sent a letter out to the galaxy and told Bail Organa before this. Just are, to the galaxy? Just like mass <laughs> Yeah, basically. Um, just made an official announcement and said to Bail Organa before she did that, that our Rebel Alliance will not include Guerrera or his partisans. Messed up. Yep. You know, I I get it. Like, it, um, and, and I think it's easy to say, yeah, the best way to fight is the honorable way to fight. Like, and I mm-hmm. think we attach that morality really quickly to the rebels we know of like, no, no, the rebels don't do that. Like we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the first thing, the first major battle won in the star Wars universe that we know of is Luke Skywalker basically committing genocide. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, 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 even in this episode and even in, we've talked about it, we've unpacked tons of episodes where there's, we've, we've done the math. Oh, Zeb just k- killed 30,000 people. Like, uh, how many people are on that Star Destroyer? And we, you know, we'll sit there totally. and do the math because we think it's funny. And we go, oh, oh my God, that's, that's millions of people. <laughs> um, and, and so it's, you kind of have to to leave that, though, that logic at the door a bit. Because I, I, I don't know that they want, I mean, in my mind, I don't think they want us to watch it with that kind of, yeah. um, I don't know, detailed view of things. But Saul has a really compelling point and just like the whole push of you have no idea what it's like unless you've lost someone uh, or, you know, 
you're not gonna it's not gonna matter we're kind of jumping the gun here but it's not gonna matter in the end when the empire rules how you fought if you've lost yeah i i liked that line i thought that was really powerful and it also it's the same thing that i've probably brought up before but it's why killmonger and black panther is such a compelling Mm -hmm. bad guy Mm -hmm. because killmonger's right it's just the way he does it is wrong you know like and in this episode it's a little bit more gray as well because you know saw is right multiple times he was right about the relay on jalindi or whatever that planet's called he was right about people being held in that cargo transport and ultimately he was right that the empire is making a super weapon mm-hmm. and so when faced with that kind of death and threat like a lot of people would do some really bad things and as you said you know Zeb just like casually destroyed an entire Star Destroyer and we looked it up and there's like 300,000 people on a Star Destroyer. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not like, oh, Zeb's <laughs> caused a genocide. That, but like with Saw, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very gray. And one of the morality things that I really like that when Rebels injects that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even something that struck me, and I mean, this is later in the episode, but like mm-hmm. even him stunning the stormtroopers was interesting yeah. to me, but like as different than even the finale of the first part of this episode where they destroy a whole, you know, Imperial ship. And then they're like, well, actually, we're Saul's just going <laughs> to jump off of the box and, yeah. and stun two stormtroopers. But it is kind of a discussion of just like all these characters are dealing with their own back and forth of what is just in this war. And I think that's just kind of interesting even in in a show like this that has to not show blood on screen or whatever it is yeah absolutely um but moving on to something else kind of exciting hold on hold the train there no um one of the things i was that brandon brought up that i was kind of going back and forth on is the show right you can't show blood you can't show inadvertent Mm -hmm. you know deaths or inadvertent like every everything is kind of uh, is is passive kills like oh I pushed a stormtrooper <laughs> off a you know a cliff yeah. you don't see where he lands you don't see the outcome right but so you have all these kind of passive murders <laughs> maybe that's all we'll call it but um it, it's 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 so tough for a show like this in my opinion to do it well because to have this discussion well because you you, you can't really show the I don't know. There isn't, yeah, I don't know. Is there such thing as any, God, this is, this sounds so cheesy, <laughs> any honorable war, you know, or any honorable fight? Yeah. Like, a, mm-hmm. pro- I don't know. Pr- probably not, in my opinion. It's, there's better ways and there's ways we agree to. And, you know, we, we all follow, follow the Geneva Code. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't know if that should help anyone sleep at night or feel better about it. Yeah, oh, we're getting too deep for <laughs> nine twenty in the morning. Yeah. But I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, true. I'm a pacifist in my own life. Um, but even as someone who doesn't cause violence or believe in violence, like, is there a necessary war? Like, are there times when you get pushed into conflicts that you can't avoid? I don't know the answer to that. Oh yeah, I'm it's, a pacifist too. Totally. I, yeah. It's not because. I couldn't beat you up because I could. <laughs> it's not because I'm not strong. I'm just a pacifist because I I'm able to. But I just don't want to hurt anyone. Yeah, it's just very it's just fascinating to me, and 
it's it's very cool again that a child's cartoon is talking about this stuff in one way or another you know yeah i mean so i've been rewatching. this is changing the subject slightly but i've been rewatching mm-hmm. avatar recently oh, oh we talked about that oh, last episode so i just did the we're same all thing doing this <laughs> it's so good what's going it's on great in but it's, it's it's very similar to, yeah. to what we're talking about right even i mean the final season of you know ang's being like i'm not going to oh, kill anyone or whatever beautiful. but then you know the mm-hmm. things that happened off screen or whatever for the first two seasons i'm sure resulted in deaths you know what i mean and so it's yeah. just it's just more of a conversation of a this is for young adults or for children but then the the morality that they still teach and like still kind of push is is very very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, great point. I will say that that I I have long held to Avatar has the best series ending of almost any show I've ever seen. It's so it's just done so well. I mm-hmm. I'm so happy with how that show ended and I feel like I can't say that about many shows. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to because I haven't seen I haven't watched it since it was on. Right. And that was, uh, you know, how many years ago? And so it's yeah. been really nice revisiting that, especially as an adult. We just finished actually last night. We finished the season two finale and it was all about like letting go of death and grief. And uh, it was so interesting and just like wow. so deep for a children's show. And I was like, this is great. Like this yeah, is very yeah. uh, measured and well told. And so anyway, it's um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next thing. I'm excited to talk about this. We see Yavin Base for the first time. They've met up with the Greater Rebellion. How how do you both feel generally about Yavin Base? Oh, I mean, me personally, I think it's I mean, it's incredible seeing them kind of finally come to the actual rebel alliance that we know or that we thought we knew. Mm-hmm. And so seeing even just the Masasi Temple and the buildings and just them running around and the ladder that she hits, you know, all the little things that you associate with, with what like the original star Wars was. It's great seeing them kind of juxtaposed. And I think there's a shot of Mon Mothma, General Dodonna and um, Bail Organa all like in the same frame. I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is incredible. Like that this is in, you know, rebels and they have Genevieve O'Reilly doing the voice again. And it's just like all so well told and uh, just like kind of a nice way to see everyone together again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought this was a sick setting. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's tough because the shows I love right now, Star Wars related, are very untied or very separate from the mm-hmm. Star Wars universe. I love the Mandalorian. I I love that so far it's not crossed over too much into Jedi. And I won't well, wait for season. We're on the cusp of season <laughs> two here, or you know, the larger Star Wars universe in any way. And I really like these kind of side stories like that. Um, yeah. And I'm, but with a show like Rebels, um, I, I don't think that would work in the long run. Uh, or I, I, yeah, I question just because we, we have two Jedi here. And so somehow mm-hmm. they have to, in my opinion, tie back. And so I, I just think it's all done really well in season four and everything's really subtle. Nothing's too, too over the top, which I really like. Yeah. Dave Filoni actually said that their plan was to try to stay away from that as much as possible. Um, but it's almost like they can't not tie it in at this point. Um, with because this came out either right after Rogue One or just before Rogue One, but while they were creating it, Rogue One was being written. Mm-hmm. And it was just there's just too many opportunities for to tie it in, especially everyone's gonna think wait, this is happening at around the same time as Rogue One, so, like, why are these people helping out with the big base that everyone's on there? And it would, just, it would raise too many questions for them not to be there. 
Yeah. But I think that I think that's so. something they're they're trying to be sensitive to that they want us to say it say a standalone story as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but even then, like part one of this episode is written by the writer of Rogue One, right? Gary yeah, Witta totally. wrote wrote this, and so it's very. I mean, again, it's it's interesting to me because you just brought up Mandalorian, and I think every. I mean, the weakest episode, in my opinion, for Mandalorian was when they went to Tatooine. Yeah, and it was it was yep. a little like because I think Star Wars and nostalgia and Sky Talkers did a great thing about this but like star, star wars and nostalgia are so intrinsically tied together that it's tough mm-hmm. to to separate those in, in our mind even like the the thrill you get of seeing them fly over yavin 4 you know it's like does that mean something to me or does that mean something to the story and when you can do yeah. both of those things i think is when these little pieces of nostalgia work the best to actually move the story forward so i think in that yeah. regard this does this does such a great job of moving the cruise story but also kind of tying it to a larger tale that's being told so mm. yeah that's a great point more ties in the last episode because we talked about how i couldn't even finish that episode of the mandalorian because it i think maybe that's that puts a finger on why is that it felt like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake mm-hmm. instead of it being nostalgia, <laughs> yeah. but working for the story as well, you know? Right. Like, yeah. that could have been on any planet, I guess. You know what yeah, I mean? Like Exactly. And it was fun to see the cantina, of course, and fun to see R5-D4, but then it's like, what What did that really do beyond me at 6 a.m. being like this? You know, it's, it's fun to be, you know, seeing a band. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, because even, you know, with Mandalorian, we've gotten these pictures now of Tusken Raiders and Banthas again. So, like, we are going back to Tatooine probably. And I think in this case, it will advance the story. So, it might have just been a setup episode to, like, yeah. say, hey, here's Boba Fett or whatever we think might be the end of that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there might be a reason for it. And we might just be looking really stupid <laughs> in, in a few months. Um, yeah, but that I episode think... still sucked. So, I'm standing <laughs> by that. Yeah. So, anyway, I think I think it's just it's more of, of what they can do with, with the settings that are familiar to us and changing it and... Like Ryan Johnson says, like subverting expectations, I think goes yeah, a really long totally. way. It's that is uh, I've never really thought about how you can't untie nostalgia from Star Wars. And I I don't know, I love that because it uh I yeah. mean it's like Disney, right? I mean w- w- how do you untie those? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're making me think too, because like especially now you're saying Disney like I'm so conflicted about just like Disney's role in the world (laughs) as being a giant conglomerate and like just the effects that they're having on people. But still, when I walk through the gates of Disneyland, I get that feeling in my stomach of like, oh, my God, I'm a 10 year old kid. This (laughs) is amazing. And so, yeah, that's interesting. Like how do the things that we tie our nostalgia to and what impact that has? Yeah. Yeah. And I hate to be. You know, I blowing my mind way too early again. Stop <laughs> it. I feel like a, you know, I feel, I feel like a college freshman being like, oh, and, but the real question is, mm-hmm. but um, I guess the, the kind of the deeper question under that too is what, like, what's the role of nostalgia? Why do we want to untie that? Like, is there, is there some, a reason we should be monitoring nostalgia? Is it mm-hmm. to, because is it, is nostalgia in the sake of star Wars? Does it help us? I don't know, just enjoy, enjoy it. And is that a bad thing that we kind of have like a nostalgic um, tinge on everything that makes it easier for us to watch and enjoy? Is that bad? I don't know. I think so for me and and with Star Wars, and I'm sure it's reflected in y'all's 
fandom as well but like i was so young when i first watched it and it really just became Mm -hmm. you know me growing up and me buying toys and me playing video games and then me kind of delving further and further into the inspirations and the movies and campbell and you know everything that inspired star wars and i think that is what it's rooted in right where we have even when we're watching it as children we have a nostalgia for star wars already because of the timeless tropes that are already being kind of told right that meta of what Star Wars is and that hero's journey is something that's kind of like intrinsic to who we are as humans, right? And so I think when you're able to then look back on it now, right? Like I'm almost 30, let's say, and and it's like, okay, like what does that mean for me? What does that mean for who I've been? And then how do I let what I've cared about, right? Whether it's Star Wars or Disney or times I've had with my family or books that I've read, um, how did that all kind of, help me grow as a person and then how can that continue to help me grow because i think that's the biggest problem that people are seeing with the new star wars movies for instance mm-hmm. and not being able to separate being a child and watching a star wars movie and being an adult and watching a star wars movie and the life experience that you've had in between then right and having star wars you know mm-hmm. educate you and how you're supposed to behave or what you're supposed to feel or whatever you're supposed to be taking from the media you consume and I think that's kind of just a larger conversation that Star Wars fandom and any fandom needs to really have at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I can also say that in A New Hope on Yavin, I never understood the guy in the tower with like the <laughs> the thing that he points at Millennium Falcon. What's that? What's that guy doing? I love the robot chicken. Is it robot chicken where they do, they do that and the guy just <laughs> pretends to shoot it? Or I think it's Family Guy. I just never understood. I, I don't know why I thought about probably because it's Yavin, but I just thought right. about that instantly when we got to Yavin. I was like, "Are we going to see the tower guy? What was that guy doing up there?" I love, I love, I love that. If only because so I interviewed Lauren Peterson, who is tower guy, because he also was the model maker and stuff. And so they flew yeah. to where was it Guatemala to film the exterior shots for Yavin, really? you mm-hmm. know. And but then they needed that shot of tower guy. <laughs> And so it was like three or four of them, I think, that went down there and, and shot some some stuff. And so they built that tower out of like a garbage can. And then they got Lauren Peterson to do it because he was the only one on that trip that didn't have kids. And it was like on a on a like a <laughs> precipice. And like he could have died like for that Jeez. shot. Um, so anyway, to add some more gravity to, to Tower Guy. But uh, I'm surprised he didn't show up in this episode, honestly, like flagging yeah. the ghost. I love that so much because I literally thought when I was doing this, Tower Guy seems like someone that Brandon would interview. <laughs> <laughs> no way. You're not wrong. Yeah. It's awesome. That's so good. Uh, so a little history about Yavin super quick. This is it's a jungle moon, which I think is a cool setting. Wait, hold yeah. on. What's 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 Tower Guy's name? In the universe, <laughs> I don't know. I would be uh, like a Star Wars fan now. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look that up. <laughs> I don't know. I should have. I don't know how you can find that on Wikipedia. Like, okay. what do you what do you type? Find it real quick. A New Hope Tower guy. Okay. Oh, I found it. Uh, Oslio Prennert. Yep, sounds right. <laughs> sounds just about right. Oh, because it's the it's the amalgamation of it's the anagram of Lauren Peterson is uh, Oslio Prennert. Look at that! It all comes together. All ties wow. together. Beautiful. Um. So, Yavin Four is a jungle covered moon which orbits the gas giant Yavin Prime. Mm-hmm. 
Yavin Prime has 26 moons, three of which can sustain life. Um, it says that the moon's land masses are covered by dense jungles and rainforests. And I just thought this sounded cool. Whose flora included purple barked masasi trees, mm-hmm. grenade fungi, dope, bioluminescent orchids, and climbing ferns. I don't know what a grenade fungi is, but I really <laughs> want to play with one. I really hope climbing ferns are as literal as they sound. <laughs> Probably. Because good for whoever <laughs> named that. I In that I mean. book, I... I I found another note to like Mon Mothma. There's like some like weenie senator guy that was on the base for some, for whatever reason, like came on the planet, like came with Mon Mothma, I guess. And like, he keeps trying to be like, Mon Mothma, I know you're leading a rebellion, but there are scary animals outside. We need to get animal control. And he like drew pictures of like, look at this bird. It has four wings and it turned a color. It scared me. And it's like <laughs> notes between Mon Mothma and her assistant, like, oh, get this guy off my back. He sucks. <laughs> um, but 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, there was an ancient warrior race of Masasi that lived on mm-hmm. Yavin 4 and constructed the Great Temple, which is where the Alliance is being housed right now. The Masasi were enslaved by the Sith and the species went extinct by the time that the Alliance to restore the Republic would utilize the temple. So no one really knows exactly what these temples were for. They actually don't know how they were built either. They're kind of like the pyramids. Um, except for the Great Temple was at one point used by the Jedi Splinter Group known as the Ordu Aspectu to store information such as a map to their hidden headquarters. Such as a map. Such as a map. We have a whole temple to store a map. This is our map temple. After setting up a rebel cell on Yavin 4, General Jan Dodonna decided to honor the Masasi by naming his cell the Masasi Rebel Cell. Also, I decided in this episode that, Mike, I think you're going to have Jan Dodonna vibes when you get older. (laughs) I feel like that's exactly what you're going to look like. (laughs) Sure. I love that. Also, uh, as you were talking about that, I was like, I want to do a Johnny Cash version of a boy named Sue for a boy named Jan. (laughs) That's good. I like that. Um, But also in the episode, another giant monumental Monumental. Mon Mothumental <laughs> event happened. We have been officially introduced to Hot Callus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'd switch teams. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was watching me this with me and I was like, oh, you gotta know. Everyone started freaking out after this episode and they started calling this guy Hot Callus. And she just like <laughs> rolled her eyes. I was like, okay, Peter. <laughs> I love Callus. He's, he's so I mean, what a great what a great character. What a great character arc. Like, I don't know. There's, yeah, he's, he's just a matured character who they, I don't know. He's just earned everything. All of his lines, they could be so cheesy, but he's just earned so much of it. They've earned so much of it with the construction of him, I should say. Yeah, definitely. And the last kind of behind the scenes thing I have in this first chunk is we talked about this a while ago about some fun legends tie-ins, but the word Mala is printed in Arabesh on Wedge Antilly's helmet as he comes in. Oh. And so what we talked oh. about is that Mala is, other than being Chewie's wife, which <laughs> yeah. it's, it's unknown whether or not Wedge got with Chewie's wife or not. Let's keep it that way. But there is a Legends character named Mala that was killed by the Empire in Legends, and that's what spurned Wedge to become a rebel, is that 
they killed his wife or girlfriend. And so this is kind of a callback to that. We don't know. I mean, we saw how he joined the rebellion in this, um, but we don't know if Mala has any backstory in the official canon, or this is just kind of a little Easter egg to the Legends Mm. fans. Interesting. Yeah. That's really uh, cool. Yeah, I would have never known that. It, is Arabesh cool or is it just lazy? <laughs> like, because <laughs> it, it's it's just so funny that it's a one to one tie. It's just our alphabet that looks funny. I don't know. Yeah. I do. There's a. I don't know if you all follow this account. It's like Arik Fonts, I think, on Twitter, no. and and he's really good. But he also is like he identifies the other like fonts in Star Wars that like I've never thought about. You know, and uh. so. I like the idea that there are more <laughs> languages in Star Wars than just writing in Arabesh. So okay, good. I yeah. got you got that. But also, the, a lot of those are one to one as well. So um, <laughs> it's just so like, yeah. it's like the it's like the laziest code. I don't know. It's just <laughs> I mean, I like it because you can do funny strikes like that. I suppose, and I I right. didn't know, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's just so lazy. Come on, yeah. come on George. So I feel like they could have gone a little further to make it like a little bit more <laughs> spacey and alien. Because <laughs> I don't... Are there languages in, on Earth that are just like a one-to-one with different characters? I mean, I don't know. I, I can't what's, think uh, of it. What's the, um, what's the international language? I don't know. The, Arabic? Uh, lang- That's the international language yeah, of the Earth. Yeah. We decided Arabic. <laughs> basic. Also, I just love it. It's called basic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Basic. You basic... Um, no, I forget what that language is called. The UN made a language. Yeah. And there's some one-to-ones Nerds. there. Nerds. <laughs> um, oh, Esperanza. Oh, yeah. Speaking of nerds, how do you both like the U-Wing? With the, with the partisan colors? I thought it was cool. Yeah. Well, this is the first time we've seen a U-Wing in Rebels. We saw mm-hmm. it. It was introduced originally in Rogue One. Yeah. I think it's kind of a cool design. It kind of yeah. bugs me a little bit just because, like, when Rogue One came out, like, or all the movies now, they just introduce new ships that you're yeah. like, wait, why wasn't this in the movies originally? But they just <laughs> want to sell toys. So yeah. I do I do love Rogue One though, because all of those things are like, wow, like why didn't we know about this person? Why didn't we know yeah. about this ship? It's like, oh, because they're dead and because they blew up before a new hope. Like <laughs> I thought that was funny. Like that, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, like Rogue One, like Blue Squadron is not in a new hope, or like Red Five is Luke Skywalker now because they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just totally. kind of a funny like Star Wars thing to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they do yeah. in canon, they do kind of explain like the Ewing. So the UT sixty D was one of the last ships produced by Incorm Corporation before it was nationalized by the Galactic Empire. Oh, so the Ewing never enjoyed a full production run, and a quote unquote lost shipment of Ewings ended oh, up in no. the Rebel Alliance after careful manipulation from <laughs> Bail Organa. Look at that. So, and they also talk about how it like it's a, it specializes in troop transports and like laying suppressive fire, um, oh. but it has slow acceleration in space. And doesn't turn very well. So like, <laughs> wait, hold on. That doesn't make sense. Slow acceleration in space—the yeah. easiest place to accelerate in. Well, no. So it's it says that it, the the engines burn oxygen to get a boost. So that's why it's oh, a good okay. troop transport because it can go really fast in orbit, but yeah. it can't go very uh-huh. fast in space. So like, I think they're trying to basically be like, don't ask that question. Like, there weren't very many of them, and they. <laughs> They it will, I mean, it will Don't. be interesting because I think Squadrons, the video game, I think they've already shown like you can fly a U-wing or like U-wings will be part of whatever uh, fleet. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, 
again in two months we're all gonna look like yeah we're <laughs> the biggest dummies they're gonna be like wait a second yeah uh, but i mean to be fair like i have a feeling like if george lucas was still let's say involved right now we mm-hmm. would be getting a cut of a new hope that had like a ewing cg so, to the background so, yeah. of a battle <laughs> of the totally, so totally let's count true. our blessings a little bit yeah. keep going george keep uh, going i uh yeah. I, I really want now that we're talking about this and there's just like a goofy story for like yeah don't <laughs> don't ask this question I, I really want a, a show in Star Wars universe that's comedians and cars getting coffee. Uh, maybe it's like maybe it's like I don't know. Like what's the one of three jobs? Bounty hunters and in 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 B wings. In B wings. It's perfect. Getting uh, what's the coffee called in Star Wars? Getting calf. calf. Getting calf. Bounty hunters and in U wings getting calf. <laughs> but it would be great because you could talk about, oh, this ship was only made for a couple of years. That's why I love it. And like, you, could, <laughs> you could have like, uh, you know, they could do a whole thing about, you know, collecting cars and getting calf. It'd be great. Yeah. All right. I kind of, I kind of cut you off. But do you like the Ewing generally, Mike? Uh, I'm indifferent. It's, yeah. I, it's so for me. I, I can't see it and just not automatically think Rogue One because it, it's the yeah. first. It's one of the first things I remembered from the, from the trailers from playing. Uh, what was it? Battlefront when I was playing that, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't mind it. It just doesn't feel Star Wars to me for some reason, just because it. Rogue One. I have a weird Rogue One disconnect where it it never sits quite well enough in the universe for me, and I don't know why. It's weird. Yeah. Maybe it's personal. Maybe. I don't know. You should fight Rogue One. <laughs> all, all out brawl. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because you could beat it up. I mean, you're a passenger. Oh no, I could brand it, but I just I don't wanna I don't I don't wanna do that. Yeah. Well, speaking of this episode and Rogue One, I tried to do some research on two tubes. This is so I effing him. confusing. He's oh my so gosh. Cool. So you love him or do you love them? Oh boy. There right. are two two tubes. This one is Edrio Two Tubes, who is different than his eggmate. Benthic tutus. Oh, I like Benthic. I like Benthic. He's the one in the comics, and he like yeah, Luke Skywalker he and stuff. Yeah. So both of them were in Rogue One. There, there is scenes where you could see both of them. Oh. So that right. makes it kind of confusing. But Benthic, I think, is a little more featured. Oh. Um, in Rogue One, this is all blowing my mind. And Benthic's also the one that um, in Solo mm. shows up as part of Emphy's nest. Um, but this is Edrio. Um, Whoa. And there's actually a lot of confusion even among Star Wars. So the writer of Solo, John Cadston, said that Edrio was in Solo, the movie he wrote. Yeah. And then the fans okay. like corrected him. It was like, actually, well, actually, this is Benthic because you could see that his clothes match, blah, 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 blah. And like they corrected the person who wrote the movie. And they were right because everyone's just confused about what the hell's going on with these people. I, I, I typed in two tubes to Google just to make sure that my two tubes knowledge was up to snuff right now. Yeah. And there is a there is an article. And I've not read the <laughs> whole thing. Uh, and you can cut this out. But <laughs> the, the article title is just... Uh, Edrio Two Tubes from Rogue One had a weird sex life. So, oh, uh, I'm not cutting that out. I am talking <laughs> about that. It is in my notes right now. <laughs> I mean, dude's got two tubes, so it's a bad headline because it's not as like right. It's not it a sounds. yeah. <laughs> but according to Pablo Hidalgo, oh. Tognath, which oh, is which is their back. species. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Pablo Pablo Hidalgo is a freak. He he wrote this stuff. <laughs> dude. I 100 percent believe that. Um, but Tognaths which is their species, they hatch from eggs that nurture in a suspension jelly. 
Oh, While okay. in that jelly, two or more eggs might graft together and create a bond That's that continues throughout life. their life. But those eggs don't need to come from the same parent. Okay, so you can just have a brother or sister or sibling and... Yeah, like basically you're hatched in a suspension jelly, which sure. grows sure, sure, sure. or really cool. Um, I don't it's know. It's like the Matrix sort of. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I'm fine with that. I'll, I'd, I'm fine with being hatched yeah. in a suspension jelly. Like first jelly. of all, it grosses me out. But then second of all, it feels like I'm like, if someone like offered that as like a hip, like... Susp- like a suspension jelly place in Oakland. Like I feel like I would go to it. And, like try. Like it's great for my skin. Um, but evidently, you can have like not the same parents, but then be grafted to another person, and then it. I don't know how that relates to their sex life. That's why right. it's a bad. Yeah, it's a bad headline. But it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I always love when they make weird Star Wars alien things. Totally. Just kinda, yeah. More sci-fi stuff is always yeah. great in Star Wars. Yeah, and I love these aliens that they can't breathe the oxygen. It's toxic to them. So it says the Tognaths, they need breathing tubes away from their home planet of Yartogna, Yartogna which is described as a foul-smelling high-gravity planet, which is how I've been described. Hell yeah, I love that planet. With a toxic fume-saturated atmosphere. Wow. But I always feel like that's really fun when there's aliens with masks or helmets. That's cool. I mean, yeah. I was always wondering why, like, uh, the Mon Calamari never had to, you know, have tanks over their heads. Yeah. Well, they're they're amphibians. That's why. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't just dry out a frog. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to know an answer to this? So, they technically, <laughs> like, Mon, Mon Cal <laughs> freighters are actually yes, extremely right. That's humid. right. We've talked about this. We've talked about they have gross Florida ships. Yeah, and so, like, when humans go on, they're always really uncomfortable because they have to keep the Mon Cal, like, skin from drying out. So, That's like, right. everything's wet, <laughs> which is just gross to me. <laughs> I, love that. I love it so much. I know. Um, but I also love the two tubes language, too. I don't know yes, who created it, but they did such a good job. It just sounds so cool. Very well, cool. then let's talk about one of my problems with this episode. Yeah, Not let's problems, do it. but interesting, which was I love the Death Trooper language in yeah, Rogue One. Me too. And then here weird they're right? just like people that talk. Yeah. Yeah. And and oh god. Yeah. Yeah, we brought this down. up when they did a when we did a deep dive of Death Troopers. And so Pablo Hidalgo actually tried to explain this way a little bit, but he's, <laughs> he's kind of he, he has to do it. Yeah. It's does, not it's not work. convincing. But um how much do you think P- Pablo Hidalgo makes? <laughs> a lot because ma- I, I wouldn't I, want to be paid to have like star oh, wars nerds oh, yell yeah. at me on twitter to be like hey what this is a discrepancy of this thing i hope he's paid well no i was just thinking that sounds like such a tight job you don't yeah. have to pay me that much for me to like always just bullshit things like well no actually and then i can just make up a history that sounds so fun yeah totally also sounds very 1984 like he's basically yeah. the department of truth <laughs> that's true too in canon, they say that there's that death trooper scrambled language for when they speak to each other to mask what they're the secret things they're talking to each other. But when they <laughs> talk to someone who's not a death trooper, then they speak basic, obviously. So that would explain why, like, when she's on the comm with the captain being like, they've got, they've got blah, 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 let's evacuate. Like, that makes sense. 
But there is a scenes where she's talking to death troopers right. and they're talking English. So, so that like, doesn't that doesn't hold water. Yeah. We're on to you, Pablo Hidalgo. I know. Honestly, it's and just because it's a it. kids show and they didn't right. want to like put captions in case. Yeah, and you had to like read yeah, really well. Like that's all it is. But yeah. But shame on you. Yeah, this ruined Star Wars for me. <laughs> you ruined my childhood. I'm going to write a whole blog post just about this and how <laughs> Disney Star Wars canon is not mm. not uh, up to snuff. Yeah. The Expanded Universe would never have done this. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah. <laughs> yeah, Death they, Troopers were only got... introduced a couple years ago, but you ruined my childhood somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, God, Expanded Universe, they, uh, they really held it down well. No one in canoes in that word. Um I don't have very many many other points, but there are a couple things that I wanted to point out. First of all, oh, I got some weird know, stuff. Good. I love no, that. It's not that it's not that weird. But first of all, um, you know, I love these things. But when they show the hologram of Faust Station, the station where they go to to find the Kyber Crystal. The station was originally going to be named Taos Station, like, but okay. the name change came too late after the model was created. So the name Taos is still on the, it printed in Arabesh on the hologram. Great. So a little bit of a discrepancy again, aka you ruined my childhood again. I mean, that ruined the episode for me. I yep. don't know how no. I could continue <laughs> this I episode. So. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yep. I just didn't want to see my fat guy, but yeah, this episode. <laughs> you're saucy today. You're gonna make me censor. You're gonna make me I'm bleep sorry. so many things. I didn't. I didn't. I it's okay. Bad. Um, but another cool tidbit is among the prisoners on the cargo transport is a Thelan male, which is mm. the first time we've seen yeah. a male of this species. We have seen Thelan females before, most notably mm. the female flirting with. Boba Fett in Jabba's palace, which I think is hilarious. Ristal. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we see Guti Terez in that episode with Mort Mackin. Oh, not Mort. Anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's another feeling female, but this is the first time we've seen a male. Mm, look at that. Yep. And mm. then from a story perspective, this is interesting because this is what sets Saw onto a path towards Jeddah, mm-hmm. where his story continues in the novel guardians of the wills and then later in rogue one but notably this isn't that far away from rogue one and you will notice um that he still has both of his legs and he's not breathing through an oxygen tank mm. <laughs> so it's 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 thought that once he arrives on Jeddah, that's what really escalates the violence in the war against the empire and really turns things up. And that is probably, or that is definitely where he lost a leg and started his breathing and his overall health started really deteriorating. So it, this is the so beginning of the for him. It's interesting mm. to me. They have not shown that yet. Right. Yeah. Like I even thought yeah. like the Geonosis episode, right. They make a big deal. They're like, Oh, this is like weird fumes and stuff. Yeah. Like, Oh, this is where his breathing problems are going to happen. Yeah. It's a weird thing to like want to see, but also it's a weird thing <laughs> that they just have not shown. Right. Yeah, so well, totally. it's like we're conditioned to get every little detail at this point. You can't, you can't plant right. a seed and yeah. not have a whole episode on, you know, who, who moved the seed there, what it grew into, right. what kind of soil they like, it, they get so detailed with everything now. So it's, yeah. Well, it is kind of fun to see. Like, he is looking more like his Rogue One character. So right. you do he see, like, hair. a progression. Yeah, yeah he's got starting bit. to get the crazy hair a little bit. 
Um, also, we've talked about this, but this is the third time his eye color has changed. So <laughs> something's going on with him biologically. No, like he's not well. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm just not questioning it. I'm just. Yeah. Cool. I'm just letting it roll. I'm like, yep, sounds right. Yep. Oh, and I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about the Death Troopers, but the last little behind the scenes thing I have is that Death Trooper was voiced by Jennifer Hale. Who voiced Ayla <laughs> Jennifer <Sakura>. Aniston. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston voiced <laughs> that Death How crazy is that? Wow, she really nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but Jennifer Hale voiced Ayla Sakura. She's and like, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Whatever you're doing is more interested than what I was doing. So. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, but that's really my, my, my last notes. Did you, did you have something weird, Mike? Well, it wasn't weird, but I loved in the beginning. Better be when, weird. Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's weird. And I get no, nah, it's not that weird. <laughs> uh, it's in the beginning when Hera like crashes her ship and like mm-hmm. one of like uh, the rebels runs up to like help her. They like freak out and they run to her ship and like jump on to the cockpit and like start opening it and they don't have gloves on. And I'm like, yo, that <laughs> ship would be you would have some serious third degree burns right now. Seriously. But safety just, first. Just so so explain that, Pablo. Yeah, stop ruining <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, we all know that Star Wars doesn't have great workplace like OSHA. No <laughs> enforcement. Like, there's no railings on anything. Any high drops. People are falling off of bridges all the time. So, just, just well, that's what, I mean, I went. I don't know if y'all have been on Rise of the Resistance yet, but it oh, is funny. No, I wish because it is very much like you're used to a star destroyer but then there's just rails <laughs> you know that's so funny. and like ramps and stuff you're like okay i guess like you know they're you know they're all compliant now for that's this cool. that's cool to yeah. have accessibility in mind i love that yeah <laughs> the empire is very into accessibility <laughs> accessibility uh, champions empire <laughs> yeah no i'm just gonna go there and be like actually in canon i would have totally been able to fall off of this precipice and this is ruining my childhood <laughs> Disney Star Wars is ruining. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, do you have any other any notes or anything else fun? I think the only again, going back to the Saw character is so he's mm-hmm. so detailed and has been through so many different books and shows and movies. Yeah. It's interesting to me going through his Wikipedia earlier, which was fifteen years before this, he met the Ursos and knew Galen was taken away. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then literally waited 15 years and is like here in front of all these other scientists. And he's like, I think this is related to a super weapon. Like it took him 15 years to like <laughs> put it together or like do something or get to, Je- I guess the Jetta aspect is what is the driving force here that this is what he learns. But mm-hmm. um, I just thought it was funny that it's taken him a long time just to kind of figure things out, grow his hair out and yeah. you know, hang out. <laughs> he's, not very, he's not very good. Yeah, <laughs> I do actually like because I think along with his kind of descent into decrepitness, plus like his crazy hair and stuff, we are also seeing like a descent into his capabilities. I don't know if that's the right word, but like every time we've seen him up to this point, he's been cooler and like better at his job. Mm-hmm. Like in Clone Wars, he was a badass. And even the last episode, like he was playing outside the rules but like really competent and now like he's really starting to get obsessed and like really Mm. like no it must be here what's going Ah, yeah ah," like freaking out you know and so i think that's an interesting character development as well so i have a a theory about that remember remember george costanza's (laughs) approach to work where if you acted 
frustrated or if you acted just like stressed out, people would think you're busy and not give you more work. They're like, wow, he's under a lot of pressure. Maybe that's what he's doing here. Maybe he's, he's getting worse at his job, so he just doesn't want another project <laughs> on his plate. So he's just like, God, I'm so I'm so busy. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. It holds water. Yep. This theory holds water. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I think those are all the notes I have. So let's wrap this up. Yeah. Mike, do you want to explain how we wrap up these episodes? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, like to end every episode with a grading scale, rating scale of our current most favorite thing in Star Wars to our current least favorite thing in Star Wars, and then where this episode would land on that scale. So I'll give an example. My current most favorite thing in Star Wars is when Obi-Wan and Luke first talk in Obi-Wan's house and he kind of details a larger universe that has not yet been drilled into. So things like, oh, yes, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars. Those kind of little tidbits were so amazing, especially when left untouched. Undrilled. Um, yeah, undrilled. Great. Love that metaphor. Love a good drilling <laughs> metaphor. Ross. Um, and my current <laughs> least favorite thing in Star Wars is basically Raylo. Um, is basically the whole concept of Kylo and Ray and their kiss. Just everything about it. Just I'm not interested. Um, I'm 35, guys. I'm, I'm 35-year-old white man. I don't want romance. Um, and I would put this episode... I would rate this episode as Rogue One um, is where I'm going right. to put it. It's, I feel like it's setting, it's, it's, a, it's an episode that kind of is, is bridging the gap and is connecting dots and is showing us where we're going. Um, it has some fun parts. Um, it's largely, but yeah, it's largely just a bridge for me. So I'm going to give it a B. Cool. Yeah, my favorite thing in Star Wars right now is that little girl dressed as Rey in Disneyland using the Force to turn away bad guys. Mm-hmm. You can see that video on YouTube, and it tickles my heart. Um, and my mm-hmm. least favorite thing is Rey Palpatine. Um, so between those things, I give this episode the video game Jedi Fallen Order, which is I feel kind of the same as you, Mike. Like, you know, there's no big complaints. Other than the ones that ruined my childhood. <laughs> but like this episode, like it, it didn't go too high, didn't go too low. Like it's kind of like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So for me, it was like a B too. I liked it a lot better than last week for sure, but it didn't yeah. overall like get my goose 100%, if you get know what go- I mean. Get your goose. Yeah. Sure. I think that's a saying. Or I might have just made it up in my <laughs> I mean, delirium. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to question it. Yeah, I'm on ecstasy right now, so I can't, I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is a kid show, man. <laughs> I'm not. It's 10 in the morning. I just had some green tea. Okay, good. Uh, Brandon, do you have a grading scale? And how did you feel about this episode? Yeah. Uh, okay. So on a scale of my favorite thing in Star Wars right now, which is I was just re-watching Last Jedi, and I really still love the lightsaber catch in the throne room. Yeah, I think that's still so great. Cool. So that's... That's the top. The bottom for me 
is a throwaway line that John Boyega has in The Force Awakens where he says, droid please, and I really don't like it. <laughs> and so that's my least favorite thing in Star Wars oh, right I now. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and this is right in the... This is, like y'all are saying, it's a B. And so that for me is like Rise of Skywalker, Sand Snake scene. It's like, okay, like pretty cool. They're all together. They're learning a new Force power. It's fine. So that's a B yeah. for me. Yeah, I feel that. Cool. So, Brandon, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? What do you want to plug? What's going on with you right now? Yeah, uh, uh, you can find me everywhere at TalkingBay94, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're just blowing through episodes every week. Some really cool ones are coming up. We just interviewed um, Kaidi Mundi. We interviewed Tan Wee. Um, all, all real so cool. Uh, and then... This week is Bruce Nicholson, who won an Academy Award for Empire Strikes Back, uh, which is fun. And uh, yeah, just every week is a new interview with someone that worked on Star Wars. So so please check it out. So yeah, cool. it's really fun. I highly recommend the podcast. It, it's great. Uh, Mike, do you want to tell people what we're up to? What yeah. are you up to? What's, what's going on, Mike? What's going on? Let's unpack yeah. that. Let's unpack that. I'd rather I'd rather not. Thank you. Um, no, we're we're just jamming. We're in our last season, uh, mm-hmm. as you know, of Rebels. This is it, and we are still playing Star Wars D and D. Those episodes are really fun, and that's probably what this ep- this podcast will become post season four of Rebels. And you can yep. find us where Pete. You can find us at Rebels Rebels Pod on all of your major platforms. Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. Speaking of Gmail, we mentioned this last week. We did forget Daniel Van Horn, aka Thai Pilot Dandy, is the other Love person it. who emailed us last time and said that he was a fan of the show and he listened to us and just want to send us an email because we were feeling sad about our inbox. <laughs> so, Daniel, we appreciate you. He said his wife and him are going through Rebels, and in February they hit season four. So sorry for the delay, oh, <laughs> but I really hope that you jump back on, and we are glad to have you on this ride with us. So thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Just want to give a shout out. Spoiler: Jar Jar is a Sith. That's what happens at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Oh great. Yeah, and until next time, remember to be brave out there and don't look back. Don't look back. Bye. Bye.